picture that stayed with me for for all the time since since um, Easter, and my mind keeps going back and replaying one story in particular, and it's the one if you remember when. Um, after Jesus had been betrayed and he'd been arrested and been dragged off to the high priest's house, remember? And uh, so Jesus is inside and he's being interrogated and abused. And outside is Peter and he's out there in the courtyard and he's kind of warming himself by the fire. And you remember somebody comes up to him and says, you were with him. And of course, Peter's response is, not me, baby. You know, you must have thought of somebody else. And um, and then a little while later, somebody comes up to him and goes, Now, you were with him. And Peter's response, the same. You know, uh, you got the wrong guy. wasn't me. And finally, the third person comes up to him and says, You were with him. And he denies it. And the person says, Yes, you were. Because the way you talk gives you away. The way you talk gives you away. You know, there are a few things that are more revealing about a person, uh, and you can tell more about a person if you just sit and listen to them speak. It's amazing the things that people will tell you. And if, you know, if you've ever hung around a beauty parlor, you really know this is true. You know, they get these women in the chair, and they're washing their hair and whatever, and it's amazing what comes out of these people's mouths. So... Um, Yeah, I don't know this from personal experience, of course. Um, I'm just told. So those of you who are musical fans may remember um, My Fair Lady, My Fair Lady, one of my favorite musicals. And Henry Higgins, you know, he's this kind of crusty old guy, and um, he's convinced that what keeps people where they are in life is the way they speak. You remember that? So he's going to make Eliza Doolittle his project, and he's going to turn this flower girl, actually, you know, kind of a street urchin kind of girl, and make her into a princess. And his first song, when he comes out, he says, look at her, a prisoner of the gutter, condemned by every syllable she utters. By right, she should be taken out and hung for the cold-blooded murder of the English tongue. So the way you talk gives you away. Speech can reveal our place of birth, our education, but more significantly, I think that it it tells something about what's going on inside of us in terms of our maturity, the things that please us, maybe the things that we're angry about, and uh, our fears, our level of happiness. The tongue, as we would call this general topic, is the subject of a giant amount of scripture as you are, you know, out of... You're not surprised to hear. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I want to to talk about this for a few minutes this evening. And the title of my little spiel this evening is, The Way You Talk Gives You Away. And drawing tonight, uh, I'm going to be looking at just a few short verses in Colossians. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Four, two through six. And I'm just going to read him here. It goes like this. Paul writing says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up for us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. 
Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will never, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll just take a look at this for just a minute. Well, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful uh, passage of Scripture, and really for the book of Colossians, which is just loaded with so much wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts tonight to just receive uh, the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. Lord, I pray that just um, this would be good seed that would find fertile soil in our hearts, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I... I see in this little section here, five verses, four kinds of speech. So this is, you know, I I invite you to just kind of look into this with me. What is the first type of speech that Paul deals with in this passage? Prayer, right? Prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, You know, and it's interesting. I promise you, I did not know that Jim Barnfather was going to be talking about prayer in the shepherding moment this morning. So this just seems to be our day. And it, and it never, as I came across this, I was looking at it, I know what happens. Every time you bring up the subject of prayer, you can kind of see people sort of sink down in their seats. You know, why is that? Why is that? You know, I think that prayer for all of us, and I, and I include myself, and I think all the elders would say the same things. You know, prayer is something that we aspire to, but we never, few, I think, feel like they master, that they have a, a prayer life that... that is exemplary. You know, it's something we're all striving for. It's kind of like our New Year's resolutions, isn't it? You know, we have a great desire to do this, and um, we know that we should do it, but we're constantly struggling to achieve some kind of a consistent prayer life. And Paul says here, devote yourselves to prayer. By devoting, he means to continue earnestly or to be persistent. Don't cease. You remember in Luke chapter 11 where the guy has... uh, he has some visitors turn up at his house in the middle of the night. You know, of course, this brings up all kinds of questions. You know, why do they show up late in the middle of the night? Maybe that's, you know, their train got in late or what? I don't know. But uh, he goes and he knocks on his neighbor's door and he says, I got some guests and they've showed up and I don't have any bread. I need to get some bread. And he wakes up the other house and the guy leans out the window. And he says, what? Go get lost. You know, we're all sleeping. I've locked the door. And Jesus says, you know, you know that if he knocks long enough, the guy's going get to up, get up and give him what he wants. There's another one about the widow and the unjust judge in Luke 18. The story of the widow who comes to the judge who says he didn't fear either God or man. And she says, come, give me protection, you know, from this guy that's after me. And he says, and the judge says, even though I don't fear God or man, still I'm going to give her what she wants because she's going to wear me out, in other words. This is the picture of persistence that, that uh, God wants to see from us. You know, one of my, uh, uh, how can I say it, Omni, omni-usable sayings is that 80% of life is just showing up. You know, and your prayer life is the same way. 80% of your life is, is just, uh, 80% of your prayer life is just showing up. You know, you're going to have days when you just feel so close to the Lord and prayer comes easily and distractions are few. And then there are going to be other days that, you know, you open your Bible or you sit down for your quiet time and every single thing in life comes into your mind, doesn't it? But the important thing is that we keep at it day after day and we just keep showing up. And in the long haul, you will find that you become established.
established and more consistent in prayer. There's so many verses that uh, reinforce this. Ephesians talks about praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Paul says, um, uh, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it. Speaking of sincerity of heart or intensity, stay awake. You know, I'm a trombonist, and um, uh, there are some things that I have to do. I'm a musician, and there are some things that I just have to do every day. You know, I've been a musician for 35 years. Actually, what year is this? This is 2011. Um, Over 40 years, I've been a professional musician. And you know, there are some things that I just have to do every day. And the tendency and the, 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 um, the danger is that it becomes routine. And one of the teachers always say, no brain dead practice. No brain dead practice. And by that meaning, you're not just going through the motions, but you're thinking about what you're doing. And, to, and I would adapt this to prayer and say, no brain dead praying. You know, if you're going to take the time to pray, make sure that your mind and your heart are engaged. No brain dead praying. We need to be alert and watchful and observant of the opportunities that, that we have. Now, can I make a request? You know, I know I'm kind of I'm talking to people who come out on Sunday night are people who have a, um, an interest in these topics. And I know probably most of you are involved in maybe an adult or, or young adult Sunday school class or Bible study and this kind of thing. But I want to make a couple requests as a guy who has been involved in like soliciting prayer requests over the years. And I hope that no one feels like I'm stepping on your toes or that I'm responding maybe to a prayer request that you made. I promise I'm not doing that. But um, I, I want to say this, that it's really hard for us to remember to pray for what I call sort of long-distance prayer requests. You know, these are the ones where, please pray for my mother's neighbor's daughter who is taking the bar exam. And we don't know who the daughter is or the neighbor is. We don't know where this is. And, you know, it's probably... The, the person may need to be prayed for as they're taking the bar exam, but it's hard for me to feel the passion of that. What I need is pray for me that I can help this person because I know you. And I can, when, I, when I think of this prayer request, in my mind I see you as a person. I know you and I know your struggles. And it's easy for me to then become involved Mentally and emotionally and, and spiritually with this request. And I, you know, I know uh, what, one time we were in the Home Builder Sunday School class, and, and again, this may just show how shallow I am, but somebody had read in the newspaper that Patrick Swayze was searching. And so, you know, we thought that we should pray for Patrick Swayze. And I'm sure he needed to be prayed for. But it was just hard to generate the same kind of enthusiasm for that as for this lady who's struggling with cancer. Or this lady whose you know, son or daughter in our class needs to be um, uh, prayed for. So please, may I make a request that for our first default will be first person prayer requests. Prayer requests. Please pray for me that I can encourage my mother. Pray for me that I can encourage my neighbor whose daughter is taking the bar exam. Does that make sense? It makes it much easier for us to be involved with you in prayer. Uh, James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And what is our attitude in prayer? He says to pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. And again, I can't remember if it was Jim or Jack who talked about this this morning. 
He said, you know, so often we just jump to what we want. And we jump right over all the things that God has done for us. And that's where we should begin, in thank, being thankful to him. You know, the word says that he, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Lord, I thank you that the sun came up again today. And it wasn't an accident. It didn't just happen on his own. You didn't kick it into action and go retire. You made it come up. Thank you for the health that I enjoy. Thank you for my church. Thank you for people that I love and people that love me and that I can serve with. This is the place to start. Thankful people, as Paul knew, are happy people. So, uh, Paul says uh, that we should pray. Secondly, he says, uh, the second kind of speech that we have here, verses 3 and 4, he says, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. You notice what kind of request does Paul have here? First person, pray for me, pray for us. He wants two things. What is that? He wants an open door to speak the mystery of Christ. That is, he wants opportunity Secondly, that he may make it manifest, or that is, that he may speak clearly and be understood. So Paul says, open up to us a door. Now, have you all ever heard of an elevator pitch? You know what an elevator pitch is? An elevator pitch. Okay, well, here's an elevator pitch. You know, there's the old saying that opportunity only knocks once. And I don't know whether that's scientifically or whether that's true or not. But the idea behind the elevator pitch is, you know, there are wealthy investors, who, these guys who have these investment funds of hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars, and they troll through the elite universities in, in America, and they are looking for the next big idea that they want to invest in. So they're walking around and they're looking for, for this idea. And the idea is that elevator pitches, so you encounter one of these guys. And, of course, he's busy and he's distracted and whatever. And you have a short period of time to impress him with your idea why he should invest in your idea. You understand what I'm saying? So, for example... Let's just say you're a grad student and you come up with a piece of software and what it does is it can identify people's faces and you're going to get it for your laptop or your computer so that you can plug in, you know, you have a picture of your pictures there and it's me. And uh, so you can plug that in and you can tell the software, this is me, and then it will go through all your thousands of pictures and it will put them all into one folder, all the pictures of me. And you can, it'll go through, it'll find mom and put her all in one folder. So imagine you have this software and you want somebody to invest in it. So you, there you are standing there, the door opens at the elevator, and who is standing there? Steve Jobs. You know who Steve Jobs is? <laughs> Macintosh, right? You just happen to be going to the same floor that Steve Jobs is going for, going to. The door closes. Okay, you got 60 seconds to tell him why he should invest X amount of dollars in your, in your idea. This is the door opening for you. And this is what Paul wanted. He wanted, he prayed that God would open to them a door. The other aspect of this is favor. Remember Daniel, Joseph, Jesus himself had favor. And this is the opposite of having your ideas fall on deaf ears. Paul says he wants to make it clear. You know, proclamation is not necessarily communication. You ever been in a situation, maybe like right now, where somebody's talking and none of it is communicating at all? So 
you know, preaching which doesn't, you know, which doesn't connect is like a delivery truck that drives all around town but it never drops anything off. At the end of the day, there it is, and nobody's received anything. This is proclamation without communication. Good communication is, above all else, clear. And this is what Paul wanted them to pray for him for. The mystery Paul wants to proclaim is, of course, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. The third kind of speech that we see here, verse 5, is what? He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Now, I, you know, I called this lesson four kinds of speech. So, you know, is this speech... Would we say that conduct is speech? Have you ever heard the, the saying that actions speak louder than words? By all means, I think that our conduct is speech. Do you know a fellow believer whose unwise conduct makes it very difficult, if not impossible for them, to witness to anyone, in fact, their behavior is a turnoff to the people that know them, and it closes the door for them. We have a family friend who calls every, you know, I don't know, month or so. Actually, she's a friend of my wife's, and, um, and she, every time we talk to her, you know, it's kind of a tale of, whoa, how she's being persecuted at church. I mean, persecuted at church, yeah, being persecuted at work, and, um, and she's changed his jobs, you know, a couple times a year, and... Um, you know, the, I don't know her well, but the more I talk to her and I'm involved in these conversations, the real, more I realize is that, you know, she brings the vast majority of this on herself. She's kind of eccentric and hard to be around, and, and she kind of sees herself as the self-appointed, uh, even though she's just a flunky, kind of the self-appointed judge of what everybody else does. You know, her actions make uh, the doors close in front of her. She doesn't behave with wisdom towards outsiders. Paul says, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders. And so I have, I have a formula that will help you tonight. You know, I come from a kind of a scientific background. And uh, so you can, oh, there it is. I was looking back here for the screen. Here it is. This is the Brad Kelly formula. T times L plus K yields W. Where L is love, K is knowledge, T is time, and, of course, yields, those of you who had chemistry, yields wisdom. And let me just explain to this you just a little bit, my formula for wisdom. L, of course, would be love. If you are a believer, you have God's love, and you have God's love in your heart. You have, and you should then have the kind of love that God has for you. You should have that same kind of love for other people. If you are a believer, you have this. Secondly, the K stands for knowledge. You know, what do we do around this church more than, well, not more than anything else, but as much as anything else, and that is that we teach. We have teaching on Sunday morning, Sunday night. We have adult Sunday school classes. We have Bible studies. And so what we add to our, the love that we have in our hearts is we have knowledge. We, we learn concrete things. And what knowledge does for love is it kind of gives it a skeleton or it gives it a, a framework within which that love operates. So we have love plus knowledge. And of course, both of these mature and grow sort of like a stew, you know, like a great stew or a great soup when we add time to them. The, mo the more love we have in our hearts, the more our knowledge grows over time. Eventually, the result of that will be 
wisdom. It's hard for me to, to really think of someone being wise uh, in, you know, in the love category if they have not dealt with the fundamental question of God and who he is. If they have not come to some kind of uh, peace with God, it's hard for me to imagine how they could be wise. So this is the Brad Kelly um, uh, recipe for wisdom. Paul says that we want to uh, behave ourselves with wisdom towards uh, those who are outside. We want to look at them the way God looks at them. St. Francis of Assisi said, Preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. What we are gives credibility to what we say. Believers are to live and act in such a way as to bring praise to God. Finally, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let your speech always be with grace. You know, speech is a a powerful manifestation of what's going on inside of us. And we are correctly judged by what we say. Grace in this context, we're talking about a pleasing quality, an attractive manner, a decency, a right and proper uh, way of speaking, goodwill, mercy. The word that I came up with was purity. Purity. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Somebody said one of the best rules of conversation is never to say anything which any of the company can reasonably wish had been left unsaid. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Paul says that they should be seasoned with salt. You know, I've heard all kinds of uh, descriptions about salt and, you know, they get real scientific about what, what Paul's getting at. You know, I'm not a deep thinker. I'm not a theologian. When I think about salt, I just think it makes stuff taste good. You know, it's just that simple. You put it on stuff and it tastes better. So our conversation, when it's seasoned with salt, it just makes it better. You know, that's the kind of conversation that we want to, that we want to have. Salt makes stuff taste good. And sometimes, you know what? The best, uh, most gracious kind of conversation is to just be silent. So Paul writes in conclusion here, he writes to Timothy. And I think in this one verse, he sort of encapsulates what he wrote in five verses in in the Thessalonians passage. And he says this to Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, Faith and purity show yourself an example of those who believe. The distinctive quality of those who belong to Christ should be our exemplary speech. Let us have a word of prayer, and then, Tim, we'll give it back to you. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for the wonderful music, and Tim, for all the time that he devotes to the choir, as well as the time each member of the orchestra and the choir devote to to this service. Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to be wise in the things that we say, that we would not let um, coarse speech be characteristic of us as believers, but that we would always have our conversation be seasoned with salt. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.